welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Well, now with that start, we're going to talk about joy in the Lord. <laughs> it's going to be a great day. You know, I just think of all the saints who've gone before us. I can relate to verse 1 in Philippians 4, where Paul two times uses the word beloved. Beloved or beloved. He really did love his church in Philippi. Therefore, my beloved... And longed for, brethren, my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, Susagos, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. A farmer noticed a highway department truck was pulling over on the shoulder of the road, and a man got out and dug a hole, and then he got back in the truck. And then the other occupant got out and filled the hole and got back in the truck. And every 50 yards, this amazing process was repeated. A man got out and dug a hole. Then another man got out and covered it up. And they went another 50 yards. And finally, the farmer went up to him and said, what are you doing? And the driver said, we're on a highway beautification project. And the guy who plants the trees is sick today. Now, I want you to know that when you miss or when you're not here, you're like that guy who plants the trees. And Paul's already warned the Philippians about heresy, about standing fast on the truth. He's already reminded them of who they are as citizens of the kingdom of God. And then he continues to encourage them and challenge them. And he, he begins by reminding them to stand uncompromisingly. In verse 1, stand fast in the Lord. And it's a present imperative participle. It's plural. It's not a participle. It's a present imperative plural, which means all of you stand fast. It's, it's, the word is critical. It means a continuous action. You are to stand and not quit to plant your feet. Actually, the word is used of a soldier who's standing in the heat of battle and is not running away. It is an imperative. It, he's not suggesting it. Do you know the difference between a suggestion or did you know as a kid the difference between a suggestion and an imperative when your parents gave it to you? I definitely did. The imperatives were followed by consequences if they were not carried out. Well, Paul is saying you need to stand fast and not run. Reminds me of some old timers that sit around a campfire bragging to one another. And one of them said, I remember when I killed my first bear. 
One of his friends said, did you shoot it? He said, no, I ran it to death. I was out in front. <laughs> well, stand fast means you don't run. Even when criticism comes, you stay with it. You, the easy thing to do would be to give in. And when you stand firm when failure comes, because the simplest thing to do would be to give up. And you stand fast when disaster strikes, because the simplest thing to do would be to give out. He said, you stand fast in the in, in the Lord. Now, I want for a moment to, to detour a little bit and think about, this is one of Paul's favorite terms, to stand fast. And so quickly, I want to show you in the Scripture some of the other places that I think when you stand fast in the Lord apply to this. For example, we stand fast in the faith. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. In other words, you plant your feet on the Lord Jesus and you don't budge. You are confident in knowing who you are. You know that you've been saved. You know you've been saved by the grace and mercy of God. You, you're confident of that. Construction group was laying a plumbing line off of a new, new building construction and they uncovered an electrical cable. So they brought the electrician in and said, tell us about this cable. He said, oh, it's nothing. You can cut it. And the foreman said, are you sure about that? He said, absolutely. It's harmless. It's not on. It's not live. And he said, the foreman said, well, then would you cut it for us? And the electrician smiled. He said, well, I'm not that sure about it. <laughs> well, you are that sure about Jesus Christ. You don't have to doubt when somebody else causes you to doubt or tries to, you stand fast in the faith. We're to stand fast in the freedom. Listen to Galatians 5.1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. There's not but one way that you're saved, and that is by the grace of of God, period. You don't earn it. So don't say, well, I accept Jesus and now I've got to add this and this. Paul said, don't be entangled again by the yoke of bondage. You are free in Jesus. You are saved to the uttermost. Walk in that freedom. Stand fast in that freedom. Stand fast in the fellowship. Right here in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. I'm so glad to be part of a fellowship of believers, a fellowship that loves Jesus, a fellowship that loves his word, a fellowship that wants to see the kingdom of God expanded and growing. And I can't tell you how wonderful it is to stand in the fellowship, but isn't it sad how many people don't ever participate in the fellowship? They just don't. I, I'm glad that some of you are watching online and maybe you're out of town and maybe you cannot come anymore because of health reasons. I completely understand that. But those of you who are just doing it because you just didn't want to come or too lazy to come, let me tell you, it's sort of like, I, you know, you've got those screensavers that look like a fireplace <laughs> on a winter day. Stand out there with that screen and see how much warmth you get off of it. You don't get it. To stand fast in the fellowship means I want to participate with God's people because I love Jesus and I love his 
people. We're to stand fast in the family. It goes right along with what I'm talking about. Philippians 4.1, Therefore, my beloved and long for, my joy and crown, stand fast in the Lord. And listen, when he's talking about the family, let me remind you of something. First, you remember your citizenship. The word therefore in verse 1 refers back to the preceding verses. And in those preceding verses, Paul reminded them that their citizenship was in heaven, that we're expecting the return of Jesus, that we, uh, our bodies are going to be changed to be like his, and that Christ is our peace. Therefore, in the family, remember who you are. This is a colony of heaven. It's not the only one. But Christians are part of the colony, the citizens of another land, the citizens who belong home in heaven one day. And then he uses the word, my beloved. In fact, isn't it interesting? He uses it twice in one verse. My beloved. You see, he looked at the believers in Philippi as brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a love between believers that the world doesn't know about. It's not an emotional love, even though your emotions can follow. But even when he was getting close to death, Paul thought about the beloved in Philippi. It was one of his favorite places. And I think that's one of the reasons the emotions rise up in me when we talk about singing in heaven one day and being in heaven. And I think of all of the saints. You know, I've been here 32 years, and I've seen a lot of people walk home, go home. And I think of the day when we're going to stand together and sing together and worship together. And, and, and you need to know that... that I feel about this church as Paul felt about Philippi. I love you guys, all of you. Warts and all, you love me warts and all. And in fact, you get a glimpse of that when he says, I long to see you, I long for. We get a glimpse of the emotional side of Paul, the pastor of this church at one time who started it. You know, pastors need love and they need encouragement. They're human. You not, may not think it, but... I don't wear this suit except on Sunday morning and when somebody dies or occasionally a wedding. Paul said, I love you guys. You're the beloved. He was an affection term. I can't tell you, I, even though I don't know all of you as well as I know some of the others that I've known for years, I love this congregation, not because of what you do for me, but because of who you are in Jesus and what you do for the kingdom. It is a joy, and Paul felt that way. Pastors are human with feelings. Feelings can be hurt. And, and Paul said, you have loved me, and he said, that's why he said two times, I, my beloved and my beloved. My joy, he said, my joy is not in the things that I have. It's not in pleasure. It's not in prestige or possessions. My joy is you. Paul said, I'm so thrilled. I, in fact, 3 John verse 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. 
And then he uses the word crown. You're my crown. What does he mean by that? He means that one day in heaven, when you're standing there, I'm going to know that all the labor and all the trials and all the trouble that I went through has not been in vain. The word Stephanus crown is it speaks of a, a reward, a wreath that was placed around the head of somebody who was victorious in an athletic contest. And the Philippians were Paul's reward. In fact, he wrote to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 2.19, For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. I, I hope you're all there. I believe most of you will be. But there may be some at the sound of my voice who may not be there. But folks, one of the reasons we get along so well is we're, we're all part of the same citizenship colony of heaven. He said also to remember your relationship in the Lord. In the Lord is the relational word. It links us with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all children of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We've all been saved. That's where the power comes from is knowing the Lord Jesus. So when you're part of the family, you remember, you stand fast in the family. We're citizens and we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He also says, stand fast in the foundation, 2 Thessalonians 2.15. Therefore, my brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. This is the foundation by which we live. This is the foundation that has revealed God's word to us, God's love for us, and the fact that Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. It's found right here. And this is what we stand on. He said, you stand on the Word of God, not somebody's opinion, not somebody's clever tricks or clever ways of, of, of doing church. You, if a church does not teach the Bible, it's not a church. It's not. You call it what you want. It's a gathering. But if you don't open the Word of God or at least reference the Word of God, something's wrong. He also said, stand fast in the fight. Ephesians 6.11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Ann Murray worked in a textile factory one Sunday night. She confided in her pastor. She said, Pastor, I can't stick it out any longer. I'm the only Christian in the factory, and I'm taunted and sneered continually. It's more than I can bear. I've made up my mind to resign. Pastor said, let me ask you one question. Where are lights placed? She said, what's that got to do with me? He said, just answer my question. Where are lights placed? She said, well, I guess they're placed in dark places. He said, exactly. And that's why you've been placed in that fearful position. You're the light that God wants to shine in a spiritual darkness to show people the way to find him. And so Alice accepted the advice and stayed within a few months led nine of her fellow employees to Jesus. You may be a light in a dark place. You're in the fight. <laughs> Teacher asked a second grader, why are you sticking your stomach out, Bobby? He said, because the principal told me to. I came in this morning, told him I had a stomach ache. He told me to stick it out till noon and I could go home. 
Well, maybe you need to stick it out till noon, but stay in the fight. Don't quit. One teenager decided he was going to quit school, saying he's just fed up with it all, and his dad said, listen, son, you can't quit. All the people who were remembered in history didn't quit. Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Edison didn't quit. Douglas MacArthur didn't quit. Elmo Kringle did quit. He said, who's Elmo Kringle? He said, see, you don't know him because he quit. (laughs) Paul says to stand fast. Now, he, he begins to mention something because standing fast for a church, standing against doctrinal heresy is easy for a church to do. But the devil's plan is to always try to divide and conquer. And when he can divide us, that's when God can't use a group of people. Now, folks, I don't have anything in mind talking to you today. It's just as we come to verse in Scripture. But here, Paul would, would tell us to stay united Someone said, you don't have to be accountable to be fed up with people. People cause us problems. Some people you don't have any problem with. There are some who get on your last nerve from time to time, and everybody at some point is going to have somebody get on their last nerve, and it can happen in church. It can happen if they sit in your seat. (laughs) Now, there were two women in this church one was named Euodia, who means, her name means sweet-smelling. But she wasn't smelling too sweet at this time. She was causing a stink in the church. And then you have the other woman's name is Sintichi, which means fortunate blessing, but she was unfortunate by not being a blessing. I read a saying that I think it's worth sharing with you. There's a sadness to her sadness when she's sad. And there's a gladness to her gladness when she's glad. But the sadness of her sadness and the gladness of her gladness is nothing like her madness when she's mad. There's going to be a time when people get mad at one another. They're going to disagree with someone. And these two women are not mentioned any other place in the Scripture. So what we glean from them are right here in these three verses, and we do know that along with other Christians in Philippi, they assisted Paul in establishing the church. At one time, they were close to one another. Paul said, they labored with me. We know that they are Christians because their names are in the book of life. But something's happened And now they're at odds with one another. We don't know what the nature of the disagreement is. I like what H.A. Ironside, the preacher from many years ago, said these two women in God's sight, one of them was odious and the other one was soon touchy. One was ugly and stern in personality. The other was offended at the drop of a hat. We don't know what it is, but we do know that they'd taken their eyes off the Lord and something was wrong, and Paul even addresses it. Wouldn't you hate to be remembered for all eternity in God's Word by having a disagreement with somebody? That's how they're remembered. A couple of things happen when there's a feud or fallout or disagreement or disunity. It it destroys the peace. It, the peace of the church is spoiled. 
It's like two violins playing out of tune or playing a different song in a symphony. And people, people can relate to this. Abe Lemons was one time the head basketball coach of, of Texas, and he eventually was fired by the athletic director, Delos Dodge, and he was asked, are you bitter at him? And he said, no, not at all. But I plan to buy a glass-bottom car so I can watch the look on his face when I run over him. <laughs> we claim to forgive people, but down deep, it's a little more difficult. Now, one of the commentaries on Philippians is written by Sinclair Ferguson, and I think he's absolutely right when he says that biblically-based churches find it easy dealing with false teaching and that they're often at their worst when dealing with differences of opinion. He says personal differences can be deadly, dividing the fellowship, sowing seeds of bitterness, diverting attention from central issues to sometimes petty concerns, sucking energy that should be employed in building up believers and in reaching out to the community. How effectively we handle these differences may say more about the biblical character of our church than how we handle heresy. You know, we can get on a bandwagon. If somebody starts teaching us heresy, that Jesus is only one way to be saved, we'll get on that. But if we have some disagreements to, to the point that people don't speak to one another or avoid one another anymore, several things happen and the peace of the church is spoiled he goes on to say, never shake hands with the Christians after disagreement and say to them, I told you so. In fact, you ought to say, the Lord told us both so. Something else happens. The power of the Holy Spirit is suppressed. Listen to Ephesians 4.29 and following. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. Two farmers got in a feud. They couldn't settle the difference over a fence line. The quarrel became more and more heated until finally one night after, in the, under the cover of darkness, one farmer goes over to the other farmer's well and dumps a lot of salt in it, thinking, I'll get even with him. Well, little did he realize that a couple of days later when he started drawing water out of his well, it tasted salty because they were part of the same water table. We're part of the same Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit that lives in you, lives in everyone else in this room that has given their life to Christ. And if you're holding a grudge or unforgiveness or anger or whatever towards somebody, it begins to squelch the Holy Spirit. Trust me, I've been in churches where people had unforgiveness. A church that was beginning to grow and beginning to overcome some obstacles, and then unforgiveness came in the church over another issue, and that church stopped and began to dissolve. 
you grieve, you suppress the Holy Spirit. And that's why Paul uses the same word twice in verse 3, I urge you, or excuse me, in verse 2, I implore or urge is the word uh, euodia, and I urge syntyche. It comes from two words, one meaning alongside of and kaleo meaning to call. Paul called these two women alongside one another. They used to be alongside him, and he said, I urge them, I implore them to be of the same mind. Put your mind to the same matters, to have the same purpose, to be motivated by the same passion, to follow the Lord Jesus. And folks, this word implore or urge is the same word describing what God does when he's stretching forth, pleading with sinners to turn to him in faith and repentance. I mean, it's not just an ask. It's a pleading. It's the word that was used for prayer when we plead with God to answer our request. It's a word that's used in reference to important issues in eternity. You don't urge somebody to take a cookie with a cup of coffee. So big deal. You don't plead with people to change their brand of soap powder. But when we say, I plead with you, I urge you, I implore you, it's a matter that is crucial. That's the word Paul's using here with euodia and syntyche. I urge them. I'm pleading with them. And notice he repeats the word with both names. I urge Euodia, I urge Syntyche, which implies something. Both of them are guilty. But folks, let me tell you something. Rarely is there an exception to this. It takes two. So if he's urging them, let's look at how to sustain unity. Verse 3, and I urge you also, true companion, or true yoke fellow. The word is suzu, S-U-S-U-G-O-S. Now, this is my personal opinion. And I'm not the only one that believes this. It's, I believe it's a, it's a, it's a, uh, a proper name, Suzugas. I urge you, Suzugas. Now, his name means true companion or yoke fellow. But, but who is that person he's talking to? I believe it is the, is, you find this in Scripture because Onesimus, for example, Paul made a similar play on words in Philemon 10 and 11. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful. Onesimus means useful both to you and to me. Barnabas lived up to his name. His name means son of encouragement. Susagos was a genuine yoke fellow or, or, or true companion, just as Onesimus was genuinely useful, and Barnabas was a true son of encouragement. So how do you sustain unity in a fellowship? I mean, look how big this church is. Four words, all verbs, 
This means even in personal relationships and collective relationships as a church. First of all is the word approach. Matthew 5, 23 and 24 says, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Folks, you talk to the person, not about the person. Do you hear what I said? You talk to them, not about them. If more people would go face to face, more problems would be worked out, more difficulties would be resolved. But you've got to approach the person. One little girl had spent the whole day fighting with her sister. That evening they prepared for bed. They were still mad at each other. And as usual, they knelt by the bed to say their prayers. And the eight-year-old began, bless daddy and mommy, bless our cat, bless our dog. Then she stopped. Her mom prodded her, did you forget somebody? She looked across at her six-year-old sister and she said, oh, yes, God, Bless my ex-sister. <laughs> there are no ex-brothers and ex-sisters in the kingdom of God. I don't, I've often wondered if God's not going to put some people in time out when they first get to heaven and say, y'all got a problem, y'all need to work us out. Actually, when you get to heaven you're going to realize you wasted a lot of good time worrying over something that didn't matter at all. Well, what are you talking about, preacher? That hurt my feelings. I'm not, I'm not be making light of it. But in a matter of life and eternity, does it really matter? Approach, the second thing, is advance. It should be done immediately. Ephesians 4.26, let not your irritation last until the sun goes down. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't let it fester. The longer you wait, the worse it gets. Go to that person. Do it quickly. Two little boys, Harry and James, had finished supper. They were playing. And sure enough, Harry hit James with a stick. The tears flowed. The bitter words followed. Charges and accusations were being made to mom. And finally, it was time for bed. And she said, now, James, before you go to bed, you're going to have to forgive your brother. James thought a moment. He said, okay, I'll forgive him tonight. But if I don't die in the night, he better look out in the morning. <laughs> That's not the way to do it. But it's amazing. Oh, this is going to hurt. It's amazing how childish we become when it comes to issues like this. Third thing is absolve. There should be forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ 
also forgave you and me. Can you think of all the sin that you've ever committed? You can't. You've forgotten most of it. You've forgotten the things that you thought were evil. You've forgotten the things you omitted. You've forgotten the things you committed. And yet, Jesus forgave you. Forgiveness is the fragrance the flowers give after they've been trampled upon. Forgiveness costs you something. Forgiveness means that you bear the cost of it. You're willing to just say, you know what? I'm going to give them the receipt. It's paid in full. I'm not going to hold that against them anymore. When Jesus told Peter 70 times 7, how many times I got to forgive them? Seven times? Jesus said, no. I can imagine Peter going, all right. No, 70 times 7. What does that mean? Every time you think about it, you know what? I've already forgiven them. them. I've given them the receipt. I've lift, it means to lift up and bear away. I've, I'm done with this. It's over. It's hard if you don't forgive. It's like drinking poison, hoping the other person will die. Who are you hurting? Yourself. Trust me, I know. I've been there, done that. Over a stupid thing like money. I've lost a lot of money. I've learned one thing. This is free. Free advice. Trust me on this. Don't ever loan anybody. You're not willing to give it to them. And then you don't have to worry about it. The last thing is aspire. We should guard the unity. Ephesians 4, 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know, I've never seen a church argument over salvation in Jesus, people being saved and baptized. I've always seen it over the dumbest things. I read of a church that, and I, and I, I may have all the details wrong, but the piano was on one side of the platform, and there was a group of people that thought it all be on the other side. And so they were actually, I'm, I'm not making this up. You can't make this stuff up. So on Saturday night, one group would sneak in the church and move the piano over to the side they wanted it on. And later on, they had to go to two services. Between the services, they would move the piano back and forth. Now, I'm sure God really blessed that church. But seriously, folks, if you think about it, we get childish at times when it, we ought to be guarding the unity. There's not many things in the Scripture we're told to guard. One of them is to guard the truth that's been entrusted to us. We're to guard our hearts. But one of the things is to guard the unity. In Valley View, Alberta, Canada, to this day, you can find two parallel fences 24 inches apart. That's about 24 inches, I'm guessing. About like that. 
There were two guys, one by the name of Paul, the other was Oscar. They had a disagreement. They had neighboring ranches or farms, and Paul wanted to build a fence between their land and split the cost. Oscar said, I'm not paying any of that. So Paul went ahead and built the fence anyway, and after the fence was completed, Oscar came up and said, well, I see we have a fence now. And Paul said, what do you mean we? He said, I got the property line surveyed, and I built the fence two feet inside my property line, which means I've got land outside my fence. And if I see any of your cows eating on my property, I'm going to shoot them. Oscar knew he was serious, so he eventually had to put a fence up on his property line. And to this day, Oscar and Paul are gone. But there's a monument, two fences, 24 inches apart, as a monument to the high price we pay for being stubborn and unforgiving. Don't be one of those people that draws the line. So don't you come on my side. Folks, I'm so thankful that we don't have any disharmony here. I'm telling you, one of the reasons that we don't, one of the reasons that Jesus, that the Lord has his hand on this place is because we lift up Jesus and because we're not concerned about trivial things. I mean, just face it, we have to do so many things in the, we call it the South Crest Flex around here just to get stuff done. But it's all because we want more people to know the Lord. And so I close with the fact that let's don't let, ever let any little thing become a major thing. If you have a disagreement with somebody, go to them soon and forgive one another and help us guard what we're doing, guard the unity. But I also want you to know, I want you to picture God who's urging you, pleading with you, to come to Him if you don't know Him as your Savior. You ask God to forgive you. You place your faith in Jesus Christ alone. He'll forgive you of your sins. You'll become part of the colony of heaven, a citizenship of heaven. Would you pray with me? Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. 